Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Morning everyone, another scorcher here in, in Naples. It's already 33 degrees and I'm wondering what we'll get to. Yesterday we got to 42. Hopefully um, things will start to cool down eventually. This morning I am talking to Anya Karawoska about helping Live learners. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, as I said, I never quite get everything in, um, but I'm actually really looking for, and she is here with me. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to Anya about how she helps neurodivergent learners get unstuck. Um, obviously join us if you have questions for Anya. Um, she, she knows her stuff. She's a teacher and a teacher trainer based in Ontario in Canada. She's also an ESL instructor and translator and runs polka languages. She's really passionate about building links between science and education. And I'm sure what she has to say will be fascinating. Anya, are you there? Yes, no, I'm there. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Good morning for you. Um, Good morning. How, how, how early is it there in Canada? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you so much for getting up. No worries. You're welcome. Did, did you have time to water your tomatoes before you joined the show? I did not, because it was raining in, in, uh, in the evening, so I, I think like they're pretty hydrated and replenished. Oh, isn't, isn't that such a stroke of luck? We have not, we've had one day of rain in about two months. Really? Um, yeah, no, it's really, really hot here. How is it there? Um, it's very hot, like we have that um, heat wave, it's really mm -hmm. humid. I guess people do not realize that Canada can be really hot, especially in the south. I didn't, yeah, I didn't <laughs> expect it to be. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my memories of Canada as learning to walk on ice, you know, heel and toe, heel and toe, and I've never, ever felt quite so cold in my life. There you go. It was sort of like a high of zero and a low of minus 20. <laughs> Oh. Anya, tell us a little bit about you and and how you got into teaching. Oh, my like my journey is pretty simple. So um, when I was a teenager, I wanted to study Arabic, by the way. But unfortunately, when I was a teenager, you could only um, uh, pass like take entrance exams every three years. So because I couldn't, so then I started studying English and I stayed there. So. Pretty, pretty simple. I've been teaching mostly business English before I came to Canada, like mm -hmm. literacy and um, neurodivergent students and bilingualism came when I came here, mostly because my kids are bilingual. So it like, kind of sparked my interest. Mm. Where were you based before you moved to Canada? I lived in Warsaw. I was teaching business English mainly. So I was like in corporate business mm -hmm. language training, preparing people for LCII, I think it was no longer OCP, stuff like that. Pretty simple, pretty obvious. 
Great. Um, for those of you who who are not familiar with with um, ELT terminology, terminology, what is OCP? Uh, CPE, sorry, it's like a CPE. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was the exam for accountants in English. However, I do not think it is anymore. Like I think it stopped ten years ago. So I'm not yeah. anymore. So I mostly was doing that because that was the demand. People like had like the companies were paying for training, and the companies wanted like their students and employees to break through that B1, B2 because. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, it's like me with any other student all over the world. They do have lots of passive knowledge. When you go to school, they teach you grammar and grammar and grammar, you know, all the tenses, but you can't speak. And how did you move from Poland to Canada? What prompted that? My husband is Polish-Canadian, so um, that's how I ended up in Canada. And I guess that's like my story of me being surprised or gobsmacked started. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, like, I thought that in Canada, because it's such an advanced country, you won't have people who are illiterate. And I, when I moved and I wanted to work, and obviously um, the first thing I could do was volunteering, which was a great experience because I've met lots of people. And mm -hmm. that was super rewarding. And I met people who went for Canadian school, let's say JK up to grade 12, and they could not read. I have a student, yeah, we have a huge literacy crisis. I'm not, that would be like another podcast story. So mm. I had a student who knew 300 words by heart, and that's how he was getting by. But we'd have to come to the instruction that, and curricula, so it's like a different story. My goodness, goodness. Um, and so then you, you volunteered, and then how did you move into bilingual teaching? Tell us a little bit about that. How, what... um, because... Um, Mostly what, what I was, um, the topic of my thesis, um, both bachelor and master, that they evolved around bilingualism and either phonology or morphology. And my kids being bilingual, and obviously I wanted to help them. So let's say being bilingual speaking is easy, being biliterate is more difficult. So I like, let's say, jump into that. And because my own son is dyslexic, and obviously I had the background, so I was trying to help him and then other parents knew me for like networking, and that's how it started. However, I do not work with kids. That's why I shifted to Ada. So I'm more than happy to share some resources with parents. But other than that, I do not work with kids. Yeah, a lot of people are, are prompted to get into, um, obviously, teaching neurodivergent students and often is prompted by their their children. Um, yeah. What have you learned through the process and how have you adapted that to your teaching? Well, first of all, um, I've got ADHD and so does my son. So it was pretty easy for me. Then when I was a student, when I was finishing, there was a wonderful school in Warsaw. It no longer exists. It was the so-called experimental school when I was teaching and we had vocational school who was cooperating with the, um, I think it was Hyatt, there were Hyatt hotels or restaurants. So we had students who were struggling. And I had a wonderful professor and she was um, very invested in neurodidactics. So I was testing things out on my students and it worked. And it suddenly, you know, like, oh my goodness, and you can do that. And you can, whoa, you know, <laughs> and it the self-esteem and it's like, okay, it's working. And I moved, when I moved to Canada and I started working with seniors. So they were like my guinea pig mm -hmm. kind of bunch. So if I tested something on them, it worked. 
said, okay, so it would work on my son. It worked, then it worked on someone else. So it's like piece, piece by piece. And then because I always, um, I guess I like to like put the finger where it hurts. So mm -hmm. I was trying to go through the research and see how it applies to like ELT industry. So as it turned out, the more I dig in, and I started studying in Canada too, it turned out that there is a huge discrepancy between what the ELT industry says and what the science says. Mm. That sparked my interest. You mentioned things that worked. Obviously, I can't, we probably don't have time this morning to talk about everything that worked, but could you just give us one or two examples of things that you tried with your learners that worked? I give you four. So the oh. first one... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the first one would be recall and retrieval. So generally people do not know how to study. So instead of checking the answer instantly, try to retrieve it. Or in a nutshell, try, like I told my students with words, try synonyms, antonyms, try to describe it, try collocations, whatever comes to your mind. It really boosts your memory and it's so useful when you're stuck, you can't speak, you can't think of a word because you just smoothly shift to something else. Mm. Uh, the second thing would be spacing. So I would say if you're a student, whatever subject you study, do not cram for exams. Space, space it out in your learning, take breaks, then interleave. And by interleaving, I mean do two things at once. So do not only study, I know, idioms with vegetables. At some point, the verbs, just do not to spice it up. And the last thing that I will, and I'm very vocal about it, especially for dyslexic students, structured work inquiry. When you look at, look at a word from the phonological, etymological, and morphological layer, if you are if someone who is listening is studying for IELTS, Greek and Latin roots, prefixes and suffixes are your place to go. Because once you understand the meaning, I guess it's easier for Italian learners because the language is based on Latin. However, if you, if you know the meaning, then it's so much easier. And like this, I like, of course, you can try brain dumps or try like to get the cognitive load from your head. Just try to write down everything that comes to your head and flashcards, but the lightness system, which is retrieval and spacing. Mm -hmm. So really, really, that obviously, uh, um, I mean, it, it obviously depends with, I mean, with all, um, all learning differences. There's a, a, obviously a crossover, but I, um, my son is actually really, really disorganized. So uh, to get him planning his, his study time is a, um, Try graphic organizers, organize everything. Like I'd say even color coded and work in your peak. That's what I did with my son. Mm -hmm. So as a human, you're generally prone to be more active within some time of a day. Like I'm a morning person, so it's easy for me to have an interview at 6 a.m. However, I wouldn't <laughs> be able to have an interview at 8 p.m. because I'd be like almost falling asleep. So what I did with my son, I color coded his day. Mm -hmm. I knew when he's like the peak of energy, that was, that was when he was doing his homework. And like or, by organizing, I mean planning the entire day and making the room empty, which is difficult. Like for my kid, because they have, he loves Lego. However, just less distractions and planning everything out. And it is difficult. Like I tell my students, it takes 21 days at least to form a habit. Mm. 
definitely yeah taking the lego out that's that's something that i didn't do and who doesn't love it um <laughs> yep um you you give a lot of help online and you offer some very very useful tools that teachers can freely download what inspired you to do this you know in my walk of life let's say i learned that if you even if i give a lot then can you imagine what happens when people pay for my training because they give even more? So that, that's one thing. And generally, I'm a generous person because I know it generally comes back. That's mm -hmm. what I've experienced, that if you're generous, it will come back in some shape or form to you. And I would like the teachers to have the resources. Um, I would like them to be able to go into the classroom and use the tools that have been tested instead of that would be a topic for another discussion but there's lots of um ELT like researchers that do not have a good research but still they are present in the ELT industry so for those of you who do, those of to our listeners who don't know you what kind of tools can they get if they go to polka languages and and have a look so now they can get both students and teachers, it's like a tiny ebook, get unstuck with your English. It's like a very bite sized, I'd say, um, companion how to st start to study. And again, it, it really doesn't have to be language. You can study for an exam, you can study history. The majority of it, you can be applied to everything. Mm. Then I have a study tracker based on Nightness system, which is retrieval and spacing, because this is something I tested on my students. I tested on my son when he was learning his other languages, so it worked. And I have um, a planner, which is like a monthly planner for a student. If you have to start speaking or using the language somehow, and I, there's also like five ways to start speaking in five days. So probably I might be adding some new resources. However, now I'll be planning a webinar in September. So I guess sometime after that. Okay. Tell, tell us a little bit about um, poker languages and your online school. Oh, yes. Yeah, so how and why did you start it? <laughs> first of all, Polka languages because I'm a Polish Canadian and Polka in Polish means a Polish person, a Polish woman. <laughs> so hence the name. I wanted to do something on my own terms. So uh, I wanted, um, I really hate curricula in the industry and it's not because they're always lacking something. So whenever I was teaching and I had to use a book, I had to use a certain curriculum, I was always adding something of my own. So I wanted to have like my own space where I can do what I want, how I think it should be done. I'm pretty resourceful and independent. And I guess it just, yeah, this is why. Like I wanted to do it on my own terms, not someone telling me you have to do this and not that. But this is, it's just, I mean, you do also, tell us a little bit about where you teach. In it. This is an, in addition to your sort of normal working week, is that correct? Yes, yes. Yes, exactly, because I'm, I'm just, I just started last year, so it's like a very small venture. I do not accept a lot of students, actually, I just, yeah, I probably like, I'll be opening my doors in September, but I have like two office spaces and that's it. And I work mostly with women, it's not like I'm saying no to men, but I mostly work with women at BA2, B2, and this is why, because women, from my experience, they are more committed. So when mm -hmm. I have ladies and I had ladies, like I had a fascinating 
student, she was in her late, early 50s and her ex-husband told her she'll never be speaking English and she's like just speaking and speaking and she got promoted. So for me, it's like also like, um, like you know, like my tomatoes, you just water them and they grow. <laughs> We'll get on to tomatoes a bit later on. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but it, uh, it would be nice if, if um, all students could grow like tomatoes. Um, so you, hello? Yes, hello. Oh gosh, no, no, I, just, I thought, I suddenly thought I, um, I, I'd lost you for a second. Um, we were talking when we met about the link with science and education. Can you tell me a little bit your thoughts on this? Oh my goodness, and people will hate me. I know because (laughs) I'm very vocal on Twitter and I I just cut it down because unfortunately I can spend hours arguing with someone. So there is no link between science and education. That's what I found the most disheartening in the system. So there's lots of new research when it comes to education and it doesn't overlap, sorry, in research, and it doesn't overlap with education. So um, I'd say these are like two different paths and they do not cross. Everything starting from learning styles, um, dyslexia phones, constructivism, which is like the foundation of education, not only ELT, mm. and constructivism, I'd say not only it's racist, but it really doesn't teach because you cannot expect people to discover if you do not give them the foundations. There is a book by Anita Archer. It's rooted in, um, it's about literacy, but you can just apply it to anything. That first you have to nurture them in order to grow them. So what can we do to, to build a connection? Well, first of all, we have to change teaching curricula. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That's a big job. (laughs) That is a big job. I mean, there's lots of research. And um, if someone goes into didactics or neurodidactics, there's so much research that has been like tested, proven, and it works. However, it doesn't get across to schools. And I think there's also like publishing houses that invested the time and money into publishing whatever. And then the teachers, like, I graduated from university so long, it was 2003, and then I came to Canada and I go through the same program and you know, it hasn't changed. So for me, it was like, but you know, it's been quite a while and so many things have changed. Like even the, the learning styles, like the learning styles have been rebuted. We're not allowed to talk about learning styles. They don't exist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you know, t- teachers still, still are learning about learning styles. And when you go to other like publishing houses or whatever, You'll have like, oh, if you are a neurodivergent learner, there are learning styles, but they do not exist. Hmm. It doesn't. Yeah, that that that's a whole nother. Um, that is a whole nother program. I mean, do do you believe learning styles exist? No, because science proves it wrong. Like I say, we can talk that tomatoes or like I don't know, tomatoes or apples are great for glaucoma, and that's perfect. But we are not allowed to say it unless we've had some research and I get that another problem that I have with ELT industry, there's a lot of qualitative research and by qualitative, I mean, like different um, um, interviews or observations, which are great, but they need to be quantified. So if you do not quantify it, then you cannot prove anything. 
and I love statistics, so I say yes. I think it takes time, and especially now with the everything being so available, like the knowledge and people. Yeah, that, I mean, that is yeah. one one thing about the internet is that it is much easier to find. Oh, we've got a comment here from Barbara. Learning styles might not exist, but it is a fact that each learner has a different approach to studying. Totally agree with you, Barbara. Um, yeah, and... exactly. And yeah, but the point is that if you prefer to, I don't know, study, I don't know, learn vocabulary, if you are just dwindling on your chair, that's perfect, but it's not a learning style. And that's the point is like, I mean, if you're a learner and, for example, you prefer to study in the morning you know, or in the evening, that's perfect. However, as a teacher, you cannot say, oh, you cannot learn this because you have a learning style. Oh, we have to we learn this because there's nothing like auditory. Like I'd say that the brain research should cross education a million times. There is even like, I'm looking at the book. There is a book, it's called Make It Stick. Mm. And it's it's great because it gives like um very approachable, I'd say very easy solutions and explanations how we study, how we do not study. And like it's for any person, like I said, you don't have to be a teacher to read it. So you could actually be a student and and want to learn how to study better. Can you give yeah. us some examples that have sort of struck you from your reading? Yeah, like the, the simplest one, the one that I've been talking like I think on my Instagram is when you have an example of a surgeon. So he had a surgery. Let's say there was those twins that were conjoined with the heads. I think they were like separated this week. It was a huge thing. I saw it on Facebook. Anyhow, that's how the science progresses. And it's amazing. And there was an example. There was a surgeon and he had a difficult task. He comes back home and you still, you know, if something is bugging you, you keep on thinking about it. Let's say at work, you couldn't do this or that. So that's metacognition. And metacognition is thinking about your own learning or about your own work. And that's a great knowledge booster. Hmm. Because when you struggle, when you think, like even if, like I tell my student, if you, if you can't, I don't know, struggle with present perfect, like for Polish students, present perfect is something that should not exist in language. They do not understand it. It's like people hate, like I, I, I say if, if any Polish person hates anything in English grammar, that's present perfect. <laughs> is that because it doesn't exist in Polish or? Yeah, I think like no other tenses do not exist too. Mm. It's more, more like, um, uh, but present perfect, somehow for them, it's like past is past. Okay, past continues, you know, we get it, like not finished. But what the heck is present perfect? So I tell <laughs> <laughs> so myself, this way, think, why is it difficult? So just try to make some connotations. Maybe you've been learning other languages. Maybe you've, learned, you've been learning German. So now you have a simple like overlap between one and the other. So that's metacognition. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously, if it bugs you, um, you think about it and you try and understand it better. Yeah, exactly. We've got Edmel from Albania. Hello. Hello. Um, welcome to the show. <laughs> um, maybe he can tell us a little bit about what bugs him about learning English. What's What's that tense that really irritates him? <laughs> and through that... Um, he can ponder it and and improve. 
Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to break quickly for the news, Anya, and then we'll be right back. So if you could quickly mute yourself and we'll be back straight after the news. Absolutely. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Liz Truss, who is in the race for leader of the Conservative Party, has this week focused on education. Ms Trust, a former Minister for Education and Children, has repeatedly said that children are failed and let down by low expectations. She has pledged to drive up the quality of maths teaching and aims to give working parents access to childcare around the school day. Ms Trust has also stated that she will follow through on government plans to change staff to child ratios for young children, bringing England into line with ratios in Scotland. She said, my six-point plan will ensure our education system gets back on track by giving every child the tools they need to succeed. Through a laser-like focus on improving maths and literacy standards, we will make a real difference to children's lives and by giving families greater choice and flexibility when it comes to childcare, we will also save them money.
Families are now able to apply for a school uniform grant of up to £200 per child per year, depending on your local authority and individual circumstances. It is a government-run scheme and the grant is non-repayable. Andrea Knowles, a budgeting expert at vouchers.co.uk, explained that the highest grants available to families in England is £150 per child. But this could increase up to £200, depending on personal circumstances. In Wales, the grant is up to £200 per child, up to £150 in Scotland and up to £67.50 in Northern Ireland. However, only 27 out of 149 English councils offer this grant. So parents will need to find out if this includes their local authority. This can be done on the government's website. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to briefly discuss gamification as an idea you may want to try in the future. Gamification is when you design a learning experience in a way that resembles games that young people play. There have been lots of studies into gamifying and a quick internet search will give you some good ideas and further reading. Here I'm just going to present a few ideas I've found to work for me. Before you start, like anything new, you'll need to consider the extra time it's going to take to use gamification and decide whether it's worth it. A basic gamification method is to simply use a game as a theme for your planning. Using a game like Minecraft, for example, hugely popular with younger pupils, the phases of lessons can be split into sections and characters or places in the game can be used to present objectives. Putting this into an understandable scenario, in Minecraft you need 12 eyes of ender to create an end portal. For a topic over a half term, you create 12 challenges in line with your objectives. For each challenge the pupils achieve an eye of ender. Once all 12 are achieved they can complete the portal and cross to the end. The downside of this is what do you do with pupils that don't get all of the eyes of ender? Will they be demotivated or do you make the content achievable for all? Obviously you run the risk of not engaging all pupils but that goes for any method you try. For older pupils this could be based on a popular TV game show. In the past I've based revision lessons on catchphrase. It took a lot of work to create images that represented computing concepts but the lesson was fun and was just different. You have to remember pupils will sit through a lot of presentations in their school career so a different lesson from time to time can be quite refreshing. Another idea is using badges. These are best applied to tasks that need to be done. For example, awarding badges for digital literacy needed to access content on your school's virtual learning platform, like a completing and uploading homework badge, a badge for responding to feedback. Badges can be made easily in a graphics package and are really a modern digital form of the good old certificate. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear what you're doing or planning to do. Why not get in touch with your top tips at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you are doing to gamify your lessons. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back with Anya. Hello, are you there? <laughs> Okay, wonderful. Now, let's get into what we were going to talk about this morning, and that is learners getting stuck. 
Okay. <laughs> so how and why do learners get stuck? Well, first of all, um, I think it's easy to see progress when you're a beginner, especially A1, A2, up to B1, you do progress and then it gets a little bit slower and that's mm -hmm. normal. And we don't like that. And I get it. Uh, second of all is the passive consumption of knowledge. I know like, I've been talking to my students and I have that, these conversations on a daily basis. Even yesterday I told my students, look, I'm trying to bring my German to C2. And really watching Dark and Dogs of Berlin, of Berlin on Netflix is great. I love it. But it's not going to help me. <laughs> Well, it will help in some way, but um, yeah, I it mean, might yeah. not might not lead to very very fast progress. Yeah, as I mean, yeah, I mean, as Ermel just said, progress is very important. Like in the gym, exactly in the very beginning, it's huge, and then it reduces. So I think, yeah, I think we can basically establish that everyone has a that you you sort of reach yeah. a plateau, don't you, Anya? Yes, yeah, so the plateau, and then students do not have goals. Um, the students are very. Um, surprised because before we start the lesson the classes i always first i what i do is the needs analysis and students are like oh you should know what i want and i said you know i'm not a genie in a bottle i'm not in your head so obviously i know the structure how they should be going but you know there are some bits and pieces like bits and bobs of you right because maybe you need pitching presentations because you work work in hr or maybe you need some more vocab because you're in it etc so mm -hmm. I ask about the, uh, the needs and then setting goals. That's another part of what we do. We set goals which, which are short and long term. And I ask them, okay, in one month time, two months time, like in three months. And they're like, I don't know. And then when you dig a little deeper, you know, I say like people have to practice that self-discernment. So sit back and literally use that metacognition and like this, think about it. What do you want? Because I think that sometimes people are like on the race, you know, just, oh yeah, I have to learn the language. But what is the reason? Like, what's your big why behind this learning the language? There's always something. And and you give them ample time to do that, which I think is something that, you know, as a, a sort of mainstream ELT teacher, often we just, oh, we, we know the first lesson is needs analysis and we know, but some people might actually need a little extra time to really contemplate that and and, yeah. and think about what they want to do. I like the idea of having short and long-term goals. How do you help them to to formulate these? Well, what I do, I generally first, I do my research about the students, so what, what is like the, the work situation, because it's different like, um, if you are, let's say, stay-at-home stay mom, you have little kids and you want to learn because you want to do something for yourself. Mm like self-development, it's different when you have to like, I don't know, you want to get promoted or you want to go abroad or you need to, like taking exams is the easiest because if you need to pass TOEFL or IELTS, it's easy because you know what you have to do. So you just, you know, you look at the candlesticks. So what I do, um, I show so You're them. saying it, it's quite formulaic. <laughs> yeah. So what I do, um, I show them the common uh, European framework of languages. I said, look, these are the candle statements. You can do this, but now, what would be like the two most important aspects, like in terms of grammar and mastery, like the mechanical goals and the like fluency, etc. What do you need? And sometimes it takes like generally before I start classes, an hour before like the, the general course is just a conversation on the student. Mm. So we just I want the student to talk because I want them to to be aware of what they need. And then the other problem I'd say why students can't get unstuck is the imposter syndrome and self-sabotage. 
So I say just ditch that nasty troll that is sitting on your arm because it's not helping. And I say imposter syndrome with female especially, it's like it's, I'd say, very pretty popular or notorious. We all have a troll um, and sometimes they're, they're a bit noisy and sometimes they're not so noisy. Um, how do you help learners get unstuck? Well, we, we do set goals, so we do plan out the student, and then I offer some advice. I say, look here, yeah, how about this, or how about, you know, I don't think that what I heard is a uh, long time ago, uh, and I and I've actually I heard it from my uh, personal trainer. It was, listen to what they want, but give them what they need. <laughs> so I have students that say, oh, no, I need grammar, more grammar. Oh, I say, no problem, we'll do cleft sentences and gerunds and indirect speech, everything, no worries. And then when you get to talk to them, then you just like unearth what they really need. And that's what we start giving them what they need. So we use goals, we use trackers. Um, we generally, I generally plan out my students' lessons week by week. So I create my own syllabus mm -hmm. for each course. So it's like tailored just to that specific person. And then I always say before we, I start any class, I say, look, if you're not committed, then we just shake hands and part friends because you'll be wasting your time and you'll feel like you're not learning. I'll be wasting my time. And I feel like I'm just wasting my time. I, I could have done something different. Like I could go swim, I know, read a book or whatever. So yeah, we set goals. That's the first thing. Then we map out the learning journey. Then we uh, we just um, jot it down to small candle statements along the way. And then what I do, I do lots of like practical low stake tests. Uh, my students complain at the first because like every week we have a small test, mm -hmm. and it's low stake. It's not enough that you sit down and I just hand you a paper or I send you a document in PDF because I only teach online but we do lots of gamification and there's a form of a test. And so it's like, yeah, like we've just been listening to two minute tech gamification is, yeah. I, is so that would be a good strategy for helping learners get unstuck. Yes, because it's, it's, it's funny, you know, my students, I, I work with students in the forties, in the fifties, sometimes in the sixties. And it really, I thought they wouldn't do it because they'd find it like, you know, it's childish, but my students love playing games. Mm. We've got a question here from Barbara who says, what about learners who are really, who are good in receptive skills, but get stuck when it comes to producing, especially speaking? Have you got any recommendations? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like what I do every day. Mostly, <laughs> I say like receptive skills are absolutely i'd say not not that they're not important but most students do not struggle with them speaking is what they struggle with what i have recommended to my students it's start speaking to yourself i literally I, I i yesterday i gave my students a task i said speak for 10 seconds every day i send a tracker and i said tick it when you tick it you get the endorphin boost so your brain gets instant gratification so you're happy <laughs> then that's a B, record yourself. I said, and, I, and she said, I don't know what to talk about. I said, okay, what did you have for lunch? Okay, talk about your lunch. I, what are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to the beach. Okay, let's talk about it. I said, 10 seconds every other day. Don't do it every day because then you won't do it. Your motivation will just drop tremendously. And then I said, in the next week, 
add to idioms, then add to phrase verbs, then, then add that grammar structure. Record yourself and then, like say, and half an hour later, listen to yourself. You have metacognition, you have practice, you have retrieval. So that's the first thing. And then I'd say like what a friend of mine actually did, and it was amazing. He was actually in the States, he lives in Poland, and his students would call him on WhatsApp. Mm. And they were, ordering coffee, they were ordering coffee in Starbucks for him in English. <laughs> English, not understand. I don't speak. And she said, "Okay, hi. My name is Maria. I would like a iced latte with oat milk or whatever, whatever." <laughs> so I'd say, uh, like, I had a friend, and he's Canadian. He was very funny, and he said something. Pardon my French. Life is like a turd, and when you have to tackle a problem, cut it down to smaller pieces. So I'd say, mm-hmm. chunk it down to very small steps. And really make them speak to themselves because I know that people are very self-aware and they do not want to be judged by others. So try to speak to yourself for like 10 seconds, record it. Even uh, what I was doing, the only thing that I just remembered, I was sending WhatsApp messages uh, in English to my students. I was just saying, like talking about anything like, oh yeah, hi John, okay, so I sent you this, blah, 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 how was your day? And their task was to send the message back to me. Mm-hmm. Say something like, oh, I prepared this exercise, or oh, I just had my lunch, it was delicious, I had this and that. And then we would expand the conversation. Mm. You could, I mean, obviously, if you've got a larger class, you could perhaps get them to send messages to each other. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have a big class, so I don't think I could be sending all of my students yeah, WhatsApp messages. Can, <laughs> yeah. They can even practice with an app. There is an app, I just forgot the name, but there is an actual app for practicing speaking. Mm-hmm. Which is where you just uh, it gives you a topic and you have to record yourself and then you get mm. feedback. Wow, it, it's it's wonderful how many how many resources we actually have in our pocket or in yes. our phone in our pocket. Um, it's quite extraordinary. So we you've talked about um, getting learners unstuck. We've also reflected on science, but how can cognitive science help neurodivergent learners get unstuck? Well, first of all, cognitive science gives students tools how to study. And that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line. Regardless, what do you do? You have to learn to study. So uh, cognitive science gives the tools, which is, like I said, like a retrieval, metacognition, spacing, interleaving. This is just for starters. So this is like how students get unstuck. Other thing, which is like science in general, not cognitive science, I'd say mostly like neurolinguistics, it shows us that we learn in the same way, like I even have a small brain here on my desk. <clears throat> However, the point is that we have the same brain, more or less, and we learn in the same way. And when it comes to language, when you show your students that the language is logical, that even pronunciation in English follows some rules, it's not out of the blue, it's not like they said in the 17th century, they came up with something, that gives them a sense of control. That's why I mentioned structured weight inquiry. This is just science in general, because a neurodivergent person has to feel in control because life can be so unpredictable for you. Mm-hmm. you can organize yourself. You cannot, for example, you get distracted so easily. So you have to have something tangible. So showing the rules of the language is one way to, to like help them. The, and the, the first, the first reason is just to teach them how to study, to teach them that it's, when I was uh, working with adolescents, I don't do it anymore. I was working with dyslexic ES, uh, ESL and ADD students. I would say to them, it's not you, it's the method that doesn't work. 
and we really started with the very simple like we practice ritual like literally the part, first part of the class was like a therapy session like speech therapy we just play mm. we just literally are focused on those little things we practice retrieval we practice sequencing which is very difficult for ADHD students mm. and very often they fall behind in IQ tests it's not about the IQ at all it's just because sequencing sequencing is the very very challenging so we, even with my own son we like we were playing games we're practicing resequencing we're practicing retrieval calling out information and that's how the science can help. And if the science crosses education and all those myths finally are busted, I'd say from my ESL perspective, I'd rather Elsa Cardenas, which is like a Spanish bilingual educator. She works with Spanish and English students in America. She's amazing. I'd rather Elsa Cardenas to be present in the research rather than Stephen Krashen and Chomsky. I'm sorry. I know people will hate me. There is even a um, very nice book. It's called The Language Myth about how the Chomsky's um, ideas were like not very good research. I mean, there are lots of things that have been passed, like the English spelling is not close to optimal and it makes sense, etc. but yeah. So yeah, this obviously here we're moving on to, because when we met, you talked a lot about myth busting. And could you just tell our listeners some of the key myths that you would bust oh, if you could? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's like, a, first of all, um, LAD, I know that it's a language acquisition device, so from our, our students, in a, uh, sorry, listeners in a nutshell, is that our, uh, after adolescence, like the age of puberty, you cannot learn, learn the language proficiently, which is not true. Actually, okay. we have the brain plasticity. All the students are able to learn the language, form new memories, they're able to not only learn the language, but they can be pretty proficient. And really, I've worked with, with students in the 70s. And they went, they went from A2 to C1, so it's possible. Uh, learning styles, I've talked about it, so I just let it slide. It doesn't exist. Dyslexia phones, I get really triggered when I say it on um, LinkedIn and not only. Mostly because um, if there are two teachers discussing stuff, that's okay. You can have your own opinions to parents, to people. However, you cannot sell it. You cannot sell ideas if they are not research and they are not science-based because it's like my practice. So dyslexia phones do not exist. I know exist. I know the idea is very enchanting and alluring, etc. No research um, uh, says that dyslexia phones exist. I'd say Timothy Shanahan, he's a professor and, and a psychologist from the state. He said, do not fall for dyslexia phones, teach the kids to read. So. Um, I talk about LAD. I know that's also very alluring, the 10,000 rule, 10,000 hour rule. So it's mm -hmm. like it takes uh, 10,000 hours to, I don't know, uh, learn to play like Beatles, carry a baby, whatever. So it's something different. So the 10,000 hours is like arbitrary. It's catchy, but it was, uh, when there was the experiment with the violin students in Berlin, so uh, it was the average. So it means that uh, half the population of the students that were tested needed less than 10,000 hours. So it actually does not exist, really. Do not fall for 10,000 hours. Literally, I'd say if you apply the four methods that I was talking about, and of course you have to be diligent. It's not like you do it one day and do it like a month after and it, it will work because it won't. However, if you do it, you can be really, <clears throat> you can really boost your language within a very much shorter period of time. 
I talked about English spelling not being close to optimal. English is a morphophonemic language that some people do not realize. And English makes sense and it really triggers when people say it does not. There was even a nice paper from the University of Alberta on computational linguistics. They like use the computer just to show that spelling makes sense. Universal grammar. We now we have Chomsky. Doesn't exist. Empirical show evidence shows that there are languages that do not fall for it. Like the languages from Amazon. There's also um, two versions of Swahili. Uh, there is also a subdialect of Swahili that does not fall for the universal grammar. And I know there's so much more. And then brain plasticity, not true. I know kids' brains are like sponges, but kids do not have those biases. Kids are not afraid of being judged. Really, like, you know, and when the kids learn the language, they do make, they do use um, logical sequence, but they also make it, make mistakes. So no, universal grammar does not exist. Left and right brain debate, absolutely. Mm. Does not the science does not support the claim. It's not like you're a left brain uh, learner or right brain learner or like you know, you're just logical, you're just creative. That's really not true. So I'd say. I, I, there's so much more, but these are like the most, I just picked, um, I picked. <laughs> the list that you really, yeah. I mean, you, you can be left brain and right brain and logical and you can have bits of everything, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And also for me, I, I feel it, it depends on the situation that I'm living and, and, and how I'm feeling in that precise moment. I'm, I might be feeling anxious. I might be feeling tired and grumpy. And so obviously my reaction to a situation may not be logical, but most of the time I am quite a logical person. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think there's an emotional side to learning a language? Um, to be honest, uh, I guess that the emotional is when it's either your first language or you have language that is associated with a situation. However, I'd say I would put emotions aside because from, from, from my perspective, there's so much emotion and like feeling, feeling, okay, I'll go to another one, teacher autonomy and student mm -hmm. autonomy. So I'd say that it's, it's, when we talk about teachers autonomy and we talk about emotions, <laughs> because very often teacher get emotion teachers get emotional when we talk about that. So I'd say teacher autonomy is only from 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 my perspective is only valid when the teacher know, knows what he's doing and it's not always the case. So I'd always say validate your sources and even what I'm saying for other people, just validate it. Do not take everything for granted. Like what I tell my students, take everything with a grain of salt. So no, I don't believe in emotional language. Um, I think it's like probably the biggest uh, disservice that the language teaching uh, received was uh, that uh, language is a social science and language is not a social science. We have, can so we have social aspects, etc. However, language is not a social science. Thank you very much for that. Um, it's definitely food for thought. Um, Anya. Where should parents and teachers go to for advice and support for neurodivergent learners? I'd say I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. So if you go Anya, on LinkedIn, Anya Polka Languages, or just write, get unstuck with your English, Anya Karbowska, that's me. Mm -hmm. I'm also on Instagram. My handle is Polka Languages, P-O-L-C-A Languages. So that's where I reside. Or they can just go to my... Um, that's where you get into arguments with people <laughs> about language learning, correct? On on Twitter, 
Yeah, Twitter would not recommend <laughs> personal space when I can just unleash my my ideas. However, mostly LinkedIn and Instagram, and I also have my podcast Get Unstuck with English. However, it's just starting out, so I just have an episode every two weeks. Great. Who are the people that inspire and influence you? To be honest, mostly people who inspire me are my students, because when you have the guts, like to say, okay. I'm an older learner and I have to get unstuck. That's something that I found very admirable. Um, other than that, I'm really inspired by Stanislaus Dien. He's a, like a neuros, neuropsychologist. So a neuro, yeah. He's a neuroscientist, I'd say. He had this book, Reading in the Brain and Consciousness in the Brain. So I'd say that he inspires me the most because his research is absolutely gobsmacking. Tell us why. Because he shows that everything is logical. He just busted the myth um, of like, I'd say, uh, busted the myth that, oh, uh, learning, uh, re learning to read is easy, which is not. It is a very complex process. And he has that uh, Brain Institute in Paris. And it's, it's nice to see when the science and education finally overlap. Mm. Because everything, he, he's done tons of MRI studies. If I could add some other person, that'd be um, Marianne Wolks. She just um, specializes in dyslexia. She has a book, uh, Proust and the Squid, about the reading development from the ancient Sumerians, you know, and the first letters or whatever that were like, you know, scribed in clay. So I say, I'd say these are the two people, but mostly my students. Like, I mean, yeah, my students inspire me every day. And now she sounds, sounds cheesy or corny, but really, yeah. Thank you. Um, tell us, tell us what you hope to accomplish within the next year or so. I'm hope. I'm finally hoping to get my German to C2 and then to speak Arabic so I can communicate with some of my students at work. Wow, <laughs> wonderful. And and you're going to do you're doing German and Arabic together, so studying two different languages at the same time. Yeah, but German, like I've been studying German since primary school, unfortunately. <laughs> so I know what it's like to be able to be stuck, really. So when I tell my students, I know it from experience, so you know, listen to my advice. <laughs> so you kind of experiment on yourself and then you, you transfer that knowledge and learning to your students. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, tell us a fun fact about you that people don't know. I love TV series, Keeping Up With Appearances. I'm a huge Hyacinth Bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh my goodness, she's a terrible snob. I know, but she's so funny. I'm so sorry for her husband and for the poor Emmett and Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> I love Oslo and Daisy. Yeah. Like when wow. he says, oh, bug off. So yeah, and I'm vegan. So that's another fun fact about me. And, and you grow good tomatoes, but we'll get on to that. What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote will be like, there's like an old quote, um, like uh, from, I think it's from Bruce Lee. It's like, be like water, because it really shows resilience. Be like water, it's just, it cannot break. It just flows, you know, and it just flows through the cracks. And then when I tell my students, just be like water, just really just be, find that resilience within you and then step by step other things will will unfold for you be like water wonderful and do you have a favorite film oh my 
my goodness, you know, I used to watch so many films when I was younger, but now I literally fall asleep watching Netflix. So I have no idea. Like, truth be told, I cannot think of any movie. <laughs> That's okay. I can't either. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Now tell us about your tomatoes because you've um, I've noticed in your photographs you have quite a good crop. How are they? How are they getting on? Oh, very good. As I said, I don't have a green thumb. So unfortunately, I can only grow tomatoes. <laughs> Probably that's why I'm so happy. Like, oh, finally, I didn't kill this plant. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we definitely have, we have something in common there because I, I can only grow tomatoes. I tried aubergines. And they, they, they turned, um, they were, they turned gold. And yeah. I, I thought, oh, they, they look beautiful, but apparently that's because you don't water. I didn't water them enough. So, and they tasted terrible. They're really bitter. Anyway, they looked beautiful. But. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, um, on that note, I can't believe we've just been talking for an hour and it has literally flown past. Um, for those of you who want to get in touch with Anya, there is a link to her link tree in the in the post, and I'll be updating with the recording after the show. So if you want to listen back, or if you um, want to share with with other listeners, that would be wonderful. Um, it's been really, really lovely to have you with me this morning, Anya. Thank you so much for for getting up so early. And you're um, welcome. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Goodness me, six o'clock. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't find me in front of my computer at six in the morning. Um, but thank you very, very much for your time, and continue to help those learners get unstuck. Uh, you're doing great work, and thank you so much. I wish you all the best. I'll see you on LinkedIn. <laughs> see you on LinkedIn. Have a great day. Thank you for having you me. Too, Anya. Lovely thank you too, Lovely talking to you. Lovely talking. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So next week I have Canva Girl, or she is Canva Girl. There's a lot more to Canva Girl. Claire Hayward will be joining me on the show to talk about all things Canva and training. So I'll look forward to that. For all of you who've listened, thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Ermel. It's been lovely having you here with us. And thank you very much for your thoughts and questions. Um, See you all next week. Remember to tune in this afternoon. Harry Waters will be um, will be for the drive home. Not the drive home anymore. It's um, almost it's the early evening show. I'm going to muck up. I'm not going to say anything. Harry's on this afternoon. Tune in and have a listen to him. All things Taffel, and I will see you at the same time next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.